peak in your week. We're glad that you're all here. This is a class where we learn from each other. Is that Microphone is on. Was well, on until I pulled down here. It's on. Okay. Welcome to Wednesday Night Live, the class that puts some peak into your week and makes the week go a little faster on the downhill. We're glad you're here. Uh, this is a class where we learn from each other. It's not one person just giving you a, a lecture. We want you to make comments, ask questions, uh, do whatever comes to your mind so that we can learn from each other. It's the best way to learn it. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this day and for everybody who's come out tonight. Help us to be open, to share our lives and to share our thoughts. And I ask that you help me get out of the way so that people can see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do you suppose natural disasters are called acts of God? If we have a fire, it's an act of God. If we have a flood, it's an act of God. Hurricanes have been called act of God. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think that's what it's called? Don't you all talk at once. It's just... Sue! Because we as human beings cannot cause a flood. Okay, can you say that one more time? Because we as human beings can't cause a, a flood or a hurricane or a tornado, we don't have the power to make that happen. And because we don't have the power, we blame it on God. Is that what you're saying? Well, blame, give credit to God, realizing we don't have that kind of power. Okay, thank you. Very good. Heidi online, Heidi says there's really no way to classify them because nothing man made caused them. So man, could, man didn't make them, so God had to do it. Okay, thank you, Heidi. Sean, Chad. Or is that an act of evil? It has nothing to do with God. Is it an act of evil? It may to do with God. It may have nothing to do with God. I don't think it does, but we, we kind of use that kind of phrase. Grant. God's power, that's, that's one of the major examples, is, is how he causes the rain with his words. How he, how he thunders on the earth. 
Okay, we're going to see some, some of those as we get through this towards the end, so hang on. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent her message, sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. And Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Okay, this is a little review. Last week, the numbers were 850 to 1. And because they were so high, everybody sort of figured that the, the prophets of Baal, at least Jezebel did, thought that they'd win, but they don't win. And they have this big contest on Mount Carmel where they make an altar and put a, a bull on it. And he lets them go around and the prophets of Baal are chanting and he's making fun saying maybe he's on vacation, maybe he's taking a nap. He did that all the time that they were chanting and finally they give up and it's his turn. And he has his altar doused with water and doused with water and doused with water and then he prays and God sends fire. That means she's lost every profit she's got. And so she comes and she tells Elijah, sends the message, we're coming after you. You knocked off all the profits that I had, so we're going we're gonna to kill you. What's it tell you about her reaction or her spiritual condition? She's evil. She's evil. Okay, good. I think we've got the timing going again. I think. Sue. Uh, she was uh, a follower of Baal, and this was not enough to convince her. But of course, it didn't convince a lot of the Israelites, even though. They were raised in Israel. Okay, good. So they come and they point the finger at Elijah. And they said, Jezebel says you're going to be dead by the end of the day. And he takes off. Why did Elijah, the man of great courage, who stood up to all those prophets of Baal, and Ashtaroth become overwhelmed and afraid and run for his life. This is hard, folks. Fear of retribution. Fear of retribution. Very good were also known as the acts of false gods. Good. Have you ever done something right for God and it turns out wrong? 
you, you think, well, I'm going to help this person and the person takes advantage of the situation or I think I, I need to do this and you do it and it, it's not good. Chuck. Correlation to no good deed goes unpunished. You have to have the correlation that no good deed goes unpunished. You have the best of intentions, what you try to do, and somebody just gets furious at you because you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Sue. I, I thinking back over a, a lifetime, you know, I, I see times when God did great things to help or put situations right, and then something else comes up that is scary, and your trust, faith begins to waver. Even though these God did all these things, you're not sure he's going to take care of this situation. Okay, very good. I hadn't thought about that. Chuck. I wonder whether it's reasoning to say the competition between the prophets of Baal and God was one where God was certainly going to show that he was the true and living God. This is a different situation. This isn't a competition between God and a false God. This is him and somebody wants to kill him. And she's got the power and the authority to do it. He sure does. So it's a different situation. You know, we can look at it and say his faith was, was, was faltered, but it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like maybe somebody who says, I'm going to walk out in the middle of the highway traffic and I have faith God will protect me. That's probably not a good idea. Not a good idea. <laughs> so he takes the servant, they're out running, and they go down to Beersheba. Now, that's significant for one reason. Don's here. What's your home state? Okay, so this is in Kentucky. It's not the jurisdiction. He doesn't just leave the town. He leaves the country. He's in a whole new place down in Judea while they're up towards Samaria. So he's, he's left town and gotten out and go to Bashira. They're fleeing for their lives and he goes on alone into the wilderness and he sits down under a solitary broom tree. By the way, this is an accurate broom tree. Uh, he sat down on a solitary broom string and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. What's that tell you about him? Chuck. Profoundly depressed. He's profoundly depressed. <laughs> Sue's going, yeah. <laughs> so. Sue. And too, he possibly is discouraged. Uh, he has been a prophet for a long time in Israel. And he really doesn't feel like he's made a difference. 
He has prophesied what God wanted him to. He's, you know, he's did what God wanted him to. He's went through a drought and uh, famine. He's, you know, he's done all this. And then the, the, the thing on Mount Carmel with God sending the fire and nothing seems to change the people of Israel. They still are following false gods. Hey, very good. They're outdoing y'all on that side rather than this side. So y'all got to speak up. What do you think Elijah needed most? Rest? An attitude adjustment? <laughs> answers? Or fellowship with other believers? What do you think he needed most? Yes. Yes? Susan. Fellowship with other believers. Fellowship with other believers. Chad. I believe he needed an attitude adjustment. He needed an attitude adjustment. He, he may not have really have known what he was asking for when he asked for death. So there's no second decision after that. So okay. I think, uh, I think, you know, God has a funny way sometimes of uh, <clears throat> making something happen to you where you're on the brink of death, but you don't actually die, and then you're really grateful you lived. Yeah. So, you have your hand up. Well, uh, in our ladies' Bible class today, we talked about the, the importance of, of needing each other. And so fellowship, I, I see that in this. But sometimes you've just, you're exhausted and you truly do need rest and you're so exhausted and overwhelmed that you can become depressed. Uh, you just feel like there's no way out of all of them, get everything done. Okay, good. Chad? But asking for death is kind of selfish because <laughs> somebody around you may really need you and now that you're not there for them it's kind of a selfish act yeah because a lot of people need each other i thought about that that's very good thank you he's sleeping under the broom tree but as he was sleeping an angel touched him and told him get up and eat he looked around and there was beside his head was some baked bread with some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water and he drank the water and laid down again and goes right back to sleep. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. This is his traveling. He wants to get... I can get do this right. He wants to get way down here. 
what's so big about Mount Horeb? Chuck. It's where the law was given. It is Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And that becomes very important when you get into the next few verses. Because he's gone clear to Mount Sinai to seek God. They're the same place. Why do you think he's there? Why is he on Hebron or Mount Sinai? To get answers. He figured if the law was going to come at Mount Sinai, then maybe he could get some answers there as well. Okay, good. Good. That's a great answer. He went into the cave, spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, putting all that together, what's, why is he there? That's where he, God spoke to Moses. But what are you doing here, Elijah? God wants me to know why he came all the way down there just to find out what he really wanted from being there. And he replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Listening to his words, what do you think is going through his mind? Where's he at? Afraid of dying. He's afraid of dying. Good. Protection. He's looking for protection. He's looking for protection. I haven't seen the persons who were saying that. Okay, good. What else is he looking for? Sympathy. Sympathy. Okay. God understand. I've I've tried. I've really tried. Yeah. Uh, maybe for some more answers. He listed out everything he's done and everything that happened, and nothing has worked out so far. So maybe he's there to, to figure out where the path ends, if he's on the right path. Um, okay, very good. So he's looking at the situation, he's in the cave. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful storm tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I like this picture. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why do you think this was a gentle whisper? So, when, when somebody is really upset, which Elijah seems to be, emotionally distressed to say the least, uh, it seems to help if you talk to them below your normal volume and quietly and slowly, and there's something about that that seems to be calming. Yeah. Kind of to piggyback off what Sue said is the whole event is pretty amazing. He showed the earthquake, the fire, um, how powerful he was, but then showed him how much control he was in by the whisper instead of a roar. Great. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave and the voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why do you think God used the four signs to convince him? He came down. He had the big fight, and he, then he started coming down. And God used all the power. He had all the power, but you didn't have to be there. God wasn't in any of it while he was on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Either way you want to call it. God's not there. You don't have to be a place to find God. And he says, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What do you notice about right off? He's still afraid. He's still afraid. Chuck. He really isn't outside of himself right now. He doesn't know whether there are any of the people or not. He just feels it. Because for him, the feeling is real. He thinks all is lost. There is no one that follows God anymore except for him. 
And to me, that's probably why led mostly to his, his depressive state is because he, he saw no one recognize God as God. That's, that, that was his view. Right or wrong, that was his view. Okay, very good. And the Lord said, go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, appoint a zeal king over Aram. And appoint Jehu, son of Mimnishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Saphat, from abel Mehalua to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. And Elijah will put to death anyone who, escaped, who escapes the sword of Jehu. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. And all whose mouths have not kissed him. How could Elijah have missed all that? Sue. Because he chose not to or for some reason did not surround himself by people who were still faithful to God. Okay, good. Be hiding out just like he was. Ah, the rest could be hiding out just like he was. If he if he feels alone, maybe the rest do too. Um, with the with the tension that's going on, and maybe maybe all of God's people are just underground. Okay, great. Thank you, Grant. So Elijah returns to do what he had asked him to do. He's headed up all the way up here eventually. So he's on this journey. And Elijah found Elisha, son of Zaphat. He was plowing with 12 oxen, 12 yoke of oxen. He was, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Anybody know what that meant in this day? Chuck. I'm taking my responsibility and giving it to you. He has taken on Elisha as a apprentice to what God wants him to do. He's come learn his faith from another Christian. Not Christian, well, Jewish person. And Elijah runs after Elijah. Did Elijah need Elisha or did Elisha need Elijah? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> 
which one needed which one the worst? This poor. But Elisha needed someone to teach him. Elisha needed somebody teaching him. And Elijah needed somebody that was there to cheer him on. Very good. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I will come with you. Go back. Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. What does it show you when Elisha slaughtered the oxen to burn the yokes? Shad. 100% committed. He's committed. Very good. It was like Peter and them walking away from, from their fishing boats. They left, they left what they knew and went to follow Jesus. And he's, this is his livelihood. And he's, it's all over. He's going to follow Elijah. Okay, very good. So he sets out with Elijah. He becomes his servant. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate Elijah's courage at this point in his life? Nobody's going to take a shot? From before where he was down and depressed to now where he's more confident, I think that's pretty amazing for somebody that just wanted to die and now he's more confident that he's going to press on. Yeah, I think it's, it's headed up. Sue? Yeah, I agree with uh, Margie that uh, he was in the pits uh, as, as far as his, he was, that, but that was emotional feeling. Uh, courage to me is action. And when God showed him he had a plan, he got up and followed the plan. He went and anointed those two men kings. He went and appointed Elisha as the prophet to come. He even went to find Elisha back in Jezebel's hometown area, not hometown, but the same area back in northern Israel. Uh, you know, he was putting himself at risk whereas he had ran away to, to Judea to get away from her. Now he's going back. That's courageous. Okay, so he's made a substantial increase for you too. Okay, good. Anybody else? I've come to a point where, do you want to study the end of Elijah's life, or would you rather move to another person? 
We've been on this now for five weeks. So which would you rather do? Move on. Move on? <laughs> move on? One move on? Check. I second it. Second move on. <laughs> so far, you're all doing good. You're unanimous. Time to move on. All right. Y'all did great tonight. I'm always thankful for what you all do in the class and helping each other learn. It's the best way of doing it. And I really uh, appreciate you coming and, and being part. If you're online, uh, thank you all for tuning in. I know Heidi's going to be there and uh, tuning in every week, and I appreciate it. I'm going to ask Dennis, if he will, to come forward and say our closing prayer. Can you hear me? It seems to me that Mike's lesson tonight or his example through the lessons on Elijah are very relevant to us. May not seem like it, you know, <laughs> prophets, Baal, idolatry in a strange country. But if you consider what we in Titusville here in America, in this country, have been through recently with the pandemic and the horror of death and persecution and the hatred and anger that has been stirred up amongst us all. It's, I think it's very easy to put yourself in Elijah's place. Um, you remember what Jesus said on the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's got to be the loneliest emptiest feeling in the whole world. And I think Elijah was there. He thought he was the only one. Jesus was the only one. And God wasn't there to encourage them every moment of every hour. But he was there. And he showed Elijah and he showed his son that he was very, very thankful for his obedience and for his love and for his accomplishing the mission that had to be done. And that's kind of where we're at. I sure didn't want to go through this uh, 
pandemic and everything that's associated with it. My wife and I got a booster shot today, and that wasn't fun either. Well, it wasn't that bad, but uh, it's just, I don't know. You kind of think, God, where are you? And I think that's what Elijah thought. I'm all alone. You know, the hurricanes, the storms, the just everything, the pandemic especially. God, are you still there? Are you still in control? And I think we can empathize with Elijah because I think we feel much the same way in our circumstances and in our life. And so, just like Elijah did, I think our solution, not necessarily an easy one, but is to turn and find God again. <laughs> maybe we've misplaced him, or we're, maybe we're not sure where he is now, or maybe we're not sure he's on our side, or you can keep going. But I think just like Elijah, we have to find God again and establish that relationship between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. Shall we pray? Father, we don't understand you, even though you made us in your image. We, we just don't understand the big picture. We don't understand, we just don't have the wisdom that you have. We don't have the knowledge and the power and the love. So we have to have a lot of faith. <laughs> and we have to love you and have faith that you'll take care of us even when it looks like we're alone. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to be with us, even in difficult circumstances, and to help us have the faith that it takes to continue loving you and continue serving you. When it seems like we're all alone. It seems like you're gone. We're sending this, well, over around Christmas maybe, we're sending this very expensive telescope, the Webb telescope, supposedly out into your great vast almost endless universe to go and find information from the beginning of time, the creation. Don't know what we'll find, don't know how we'll interpret it, but I pray, Father, that regardless of what we find or what we don't find and how we interpret what we do find or don't find, that we will not feel alone. We will not 
assume that you do not exist anymore. We will not assume you're so away, so far away from us that you can't be right next to us and love us. And so, Father, we ask that in our closing that you'd help us to not feel alone. That's, that's a terrible feeling to feel alone and to be alone. And it's a terrible feeling, Father, to not think that the creator of all life, of the universe, has forgotten us or doesn't love us anymore or whatever. We know, Father, that you have not left us alone, just like you did not leave Elijah alone. And you took care of him. In fact, you provided for his successor. Father, help us to trust in you, to have faith, and to love and to serve you and to realize that you have never and will never leave us alone, even though it may seem to us that we are. Please, Father, help us to have faith in you. Help us to return the love that you have for us. And help us to have the patience, just a small sliver of the patience that you've had for mankind to endure whatever comes our way and continue to put one foot in front of the other and head for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.